your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. Did you hear the guy? That's why you're going to hear me tomorrow morning, too. It's the uh, two days. I'm going to start two days. August football practice starts. Everyone's doing two days. Me too. For the next week, I'm going to be two, doing two days. I'm sorry to everybody that doesn't that wants to hear Mike Hayes in the morning. You have to listen to me for over a week. Unbelievable. Uh, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here. Uh, right now, do it right now. Uh, coming up in the on the show, I'm having another Senate candidate on. His name is Koo Lee. He has a great story. So it'll be very interesting to listen to his story uh, coming from Laos to the United States. Uh, and then he's 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 sort of, kind of, uh, you know, he's not from the Appleton area, but he lived in the Appleton area where I'm from. So we were, right before the show, I was talking to him, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this place and that place. We are kind of talking. And then we got into talking about volleyball. So we might just talk about volleyball. I have a, a lot of friends that, that play volleyball that are Hmong. Cooley is also Hmong. So uh, the the whole the whole group that I play volleyball with, with might be uh, excited to hear this interview as well. A um, couple of stories that I've seen online. There's uh, this is interesting as we get to this primary deadline, right? Like the the two Republican candidates for governor in Wisconsin are going after it. The story today uh, is, is Michaels is going after Clayfish. Tim Michaels, the, the Trump-endorsed candidate, is going after Rebecca Clayfish, the um, Pence-endorsed candidate, right? The Pence-endorsed candidate. And and I think Michaels at some point must have said, we, uh, you know, don't, I'm, I'm not into that, you know, bad, the the negative politic, negative politics or the going after somebody like that. And then he launched an ad. <laughs> the story's kind of about how he launched an ad that goes right after Rebecca Clayfish. Uh, on the phone here, number number three. You're on. Go ahead. I just got the news that you're filling in for Mr. Hayes tomorrow morning and yeah. next week. Yeah, did Hayes break that news on his show, or did I just break well, it? I heard it like an advertisement that you were willing to accept the job. I think it was you were told to do the job. You wouldn't step forward to get up in the morning. <laughs> I volunteered to get up. I just stay up. That's what I do. I just stay up, number three. Well, listen, do you want me to call you about 4.30 in the morning so you can get your act together and get there by 6? Yeah, maybe just come pick me up. Come and pick you up. Yeah, have your have the coffee ready. Okay. Little schnapps in there or something. Yeah, I got a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law that live over in Houston. I'll just stay over there nights. Then I can pick you up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. You still live up in the hill there? Yeah, it's a, there's a couple trees in the way now, but, yeah, you'll have to move the trees to get up the driveway. Okay, no problem. Well, you just call me if you need some help because if you well, if it gets to bad, I'll, I'll just fill in for you, too. That'd be no problem. I can... I got a couple hours in the morning I could set aside. Yeah, I think a lot of people would love to have you uh, co-host. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, good luck to you and, you know, <laughs> all that stuff, all right? <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks. Remember, it isn't a sports station. That's what Mitch used to say. It isn't a sports station. Yeah, I feel like Mitch, uh, thanks for the call. I feel like Mitch would do a Friday football show. Um, another call coming in. Nope, that's... 
I was, I was, you know, so the hotline, sometimes we get call calling the hotline. So sometimes it's Brad out and about Brad Williams. Um, other times I was, I was kind of hoping that was going to be like, uh, like a, like a car. What is it? The, the car warranty. Cause we'll get those every once in a while. So I was kind of hoping that was, that was that call, uh, on the hotline. <laughs> anyway, so I was talking, so, so this, this is getting heated, right? As the primary comes to an end on Tuesday and we're going to find out who is actually going to run against Tony Evers. Me and William Garcia, the democratic party chair here in La Crosse County. Uh, we argued about this, I believe on the show, maybe on his democratic voice podcast too, but we argued about this, the the idea that when, how, how long should the primary be before we decide, you know, which Democrat or which Republican is going to represent the party in whatever race, whether it's the third congressional district, right? We have four Democrats running. We have one Republican running to replace Ron Kine. And then in the U S Senate, Ron Johnson's obviously running right as a Republican, but we have five senators and Cooley's going to come on here in a couple of minutes to join me, but we have five potential senators, I should say candidates running, but should the period where these candidates run be longer because once the primary now it's August, you know, August to September to October to November, not even November, right? The beginning of November, we don't have that big of a window to get to know, to get, to get get the attack ads between Evers and whoever the, the, like the governor candidate and the Republican party is going to be. But my argument is like, I actually, I want to know, I want to know more about the five Senate candidates running or the four third congressional candidates running or the three GOP governor candidates running because they're in a primary and there's three of them. I get to pick, I get to pick amongst my party. If it's my party, right. I want to get to know those people. I don't need the primary to be all that long. We can three months is plenty because we already know who Evers is. And then we'll already know who the other candidate is in the Republican party. We'll know who the winner is because we've gotten to know you over the past, however many months. I mean, some of these people could campaign campaign forever. Some would say Rebecca Clayfish has been campaigning since 2018. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that if the primary ended, and I think William Garcia's argument was in April or so, uh, then we would just have two people running, you know, one Democrat or one Republican. And that would, I feel like that would be exhausting. Just those, we only get to hear the opinions of those two people for until the next November. Um, so uh, in the morning, I think I'm going to do this tomorrow. I don't know, maybe on Friday, but I have, I have every Senate candidate and every house candidate in Wisconsin, all four of them. And then the two, the Republican and the democratic candidate in Minnesota's first congressional district. I have, uh, I just asked three questions. I have a little questionnaire for them. I'm going to play those answers tomorrow morning. That's how I'm going to fill the time instead of the weather. Every 10 minutes, we're going to do uh, candidate answers in, in terms of their, you know, their position and running for whatever it is, Senate, House. I couldn't get the governor candidates. Tim Michaels doesn't answer emails, barely. <laughs> we'll be back. Cooley coming up. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if anyone wants to get in here. Cooley is on with me, too, as well. He is one of five candidates. This was a baker's dozen, I think. I think it was, it might have been 20 at one point, Coup. Uh, but now it's down to five uh, Democratic Senate candidates running to replace Ron Johnson. And um, yeah, how's, how's that going? Because I feel like everybody's uh, just, just given Mandela Barnes the, the victory here. <laughs> you know, uh, Rick, you, you, you have a good sense of uh, where the campaign is at. And I think that. Uh, 
you know, right now where I stand is, uh, you know, I'm the little guy. I'm the, the underdog who hasn't gave up yet um, because, you know, I believe there's a purpose for me in this race, and that's why we haven't gave up yet. And I know that uh, at the media, uh, the party, and everyone has, yes, given this race to uh, the lieutenant governor already, uh, but we have not quit. Uh, uh, we're going to keep fighting until August 9th. All right, so you're uh, you're not from Appleton. I think you're from Laos, but you you grew up in Detroit, I believe, and then ended up somehow in the in the in the rural in rural Green Bay. <laughs> so I don't know where you want to start there, but like, can you can you just tell you you're of Hmong descent? You ended up in, you know from Laos. Can you just tell your story a little bit about how you ended up where you where you're at now? Yeah, you know it's 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 really interesting how we end up here in Wisconsin and. Uh, uh, but let, let me share with you guys a little, little story, a background story about me. Uh, my family, we, we were not uh, uh, nobility or uh, um, uh, part of the uh, military leadership in Laos during the war. And, um, uh, you know, my, my father, his brothers, and uh, my uncles, and, and my grandfather, those guys, uh, had the opportunity to fight in the war uh, as well. And... Um, you know, I was two years old, and this is in 1979, uh, roughly about four years after the peace treaty was signed uh, to end the Vietnam War. And uh, But the persecution has not stopped uh, for uh, the Hmong community because the uh, communist revolutionaries were seeking uh, the people that had sided with Americans uh, or America during that time, and my family uh, were no exceptions. And so... You know, I'm very thankful because uh, to, uh, to to my parents who were uh, very loving, very audacious, and also uh, very tact. Uh, I mean, we basically make the journey uh, from our village and 19 days walking through the jungle, sleeping during, during the days, and, and walked at night in pitch black dark of night uh, just to get to the border of Laos and Thailand. And um, uh, when we finally got to the river, uh, it's very, I, I, I guess, you know, it's hard to imagine, but when you're talking about life and death, you, you'll do anything to survive. And I, you know, my parents were telling me the story of how uh, when my family arrived there at the river, uh, we didn't have much besides a single uh, rope and some uh, plastic bags. Uh, that my father tied to our clothes so that we, we, you know, to keep us from drowning. And we, uh, all of us were not swimmers. My dad was the only swimmer, and he tied the rope from him to my mother. I was on her back, and the rope goes to my grandmother, my auntie, and then one of my cousins. And my dad was the leader, and he basically paddled uh, across the Macomb River against a strong current in the middle of night, and... Uh, there was there was a, a light across the river, and he said, "That's where we're heading. That's where freedom is." And we were lucky to actually got across the river safely. For many Hmong families, uh, because of the strong current, uh, they did not get across the river, and because it was in the middle of the night, uh, the river kind of uh, uh, turned them back into Laos. And uh, you know, we don't know what happened to many of these families. Uh, so. You know, I consider myself very happy, I mean, very lucky. Uh, after the escape from Laos, uh, we lived in uh, extreme poverty. 
in a refugee camp, and I think that uh, most of my community could relate to this story. Uh, we were there for about seven years, and uh, you know, as a as a little kid growing up, uh, you you don't even know that you are in poverty. You, you just know that uh, you want food, <laughs> you want toys, you know, just the basic things that little kids want. And um, uh, I was very um, um, creative. I think a lot of Hmong kids from the time was creative. You know, if you want toys, you literally have to, you know, uh, cut off a tree or cut off a little bamboo tree, and you make swords out of it. You make your know, toys out of it. And that's how, you know, that's how I, I got my toys. And one of the things that I really wanted uh, during the time was a, what was a little bike, uh, but, you know, my parents didn't have the money, so we, we didn't, uh, I, I never had the bike. And I remember there was uh, one time that uh, in the refugee camp, my father and I, we walked uh, past a soda vendor, I mean, on the table. To me, it was like walking a little candy shop. You got all sorts of flavor, all sorts of soda, Fanta, Coke, Pepsi, you name it. And all I wanted was a bottle of Coke. And nowadays, I have four little ones. And I could tell you that, uh, or any parents out there, that you would give the world to your kids. And here I am asking my father to buy me uh, one Coke uh, soda, and he did not have the money to buy it for me. I'm sure that it uh, it bothered him to no end inside, but he was very patient because I was rolling on the ground, Rick. I was rolling <laughs> on the ground. I wanted this Coke bottle, and he was very patient telling me that we have to go home and get the money and to come back to buy it. And I knew that once we leave there, I will never get my Coke bottle. And uh, nowadays, even here, uh, right now, I have a classic uh, Coca-Cola bottle that is in my office to constantly remind me that, uh, uh, that, that I come from a very humble background and that I should never forget that. And so um, once we uh, were accepted uh, uh, to become Americans, uh, we uh, arrived in Detroit in 1987. I was nine years old, and uh, uh, you can only imagine, you know, I can't speak English at all. I don't know the culture, and uh, uh, we arrived right in the city of Detroit. And, you know, when I reflect back to my Detroit days, it seems very difficult now because we are accustomed to this culture now to look at Detroit and say, my gosh, it's such a very challenging place to live. But to me at the time, when I was nine years old, Detroit was brand new, and it was way better than what I used to in the camp. You know, the first time I see a toilet flush, uh, uh, Rick, it was, it was <laughs> fascinating to me. Wow, you know, this is so cool. You know, first time riding a car, you know, first taste of soda. And all of these were wonderful things to me, and I have to overcome many challenges for one, the culture the language. Uh, and so, you know, it was very challenging at first, but in a short uh, four years, uh, I was able to um, uh, overcome that, and I went on to uh, be accepted to one of the uh, best high schools in Detroit, 
and then went on to Michigan State University, graduated with a uh, bachelor's degree in, in, in business, and uh, started a family. And uh, how I met my wife was through these uh, community events in the home community, and I met her actually here in Green Bay uh, while on uh, during the summer vacation months where I will come out to participate in these uh, sports events, you know, soccer, volleyball, and so forth. And so that's how I met my wife, and uh, we decided to uh, uh, elope in 2000, uh, 2000 uh, 2002. Uh, and... Um, you know, she basically was born in Minnesota and was raised here in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And we went to Michigan to live there for uh, a good uh, 10 years. And then uh, somehow we end up back here in Wisconsin, which I love every moment about Wisconsin. And we came back here to Wisconsin. I was uh, brought on as a corporate manager for one of the big local uh, uh, companies here in Milwaukee. I won't mention the name because I think that... Uh, they have so much publicity already, so they don't need me to promote them any, <laughs> any further. Uh, so that's how I ended up here. And we were here uh, in Wisconsin working. I was working for this, this particular company for about, uh, uh, I'd say about roughly about five, six years. And then um, I realized that uh, to, to live, truly live the American dream, uh, you have to own your business. You have to own that decision-making process in how you're going to make your life work. Uh, and and I have always been a proponent of hard work, perseverance, and uh, working smart and very tactful. And so um, we decided after uh, six years uh, of working for this company that if I'm going to have more time for my kids, my family, my wife, and that we're going to try to achieve this financial freedom, that we have to do something different than the eight to five that I uh, tie myself to a company. So we uh, decided, you know, of all things, we decided that we want to own a restaurant. <laughs> you know, you're trying to get away from working hard. Now you go to a, a, an industry where you work harder than before. Yeah, your eight to five uh, just turned into like yeah. like 10 to yeah. 12 10 to 12 p.m., <laughs> 10 a.m. to midnight. That's right. Uh, so we end up buying a um, a uh, Korean slash sushi restaurant in Appleton, and that was a wonderful experience. I tell you, uh, I think to anybody that wants to listen, um, if you truly want to experience the freedom uh, to make your own money, to make your own state, you, you have to venture off and, and do something uh, with uh, your ability and your God-given talent. And, and I tell you, uh, I, will, I have no regrets uh, with my business. Um, we were very successful. We made a lot of friends. And it allowed us to help a lot of people in the community, a lot of people in my community, and also to participate in many things because the business uh, provide us with that. And we were basically living American dreams uh, until the pandemic, COVID-19, came through. And unfortunately for us, we didn't survive because we were in the restaurant business. And during the pandemic, the restaurant industry and the hospitality yep. uh, industry were hit the, war, uh, the hardest. And so uh, that's where we're at. And um, I, have, uh, I have a couple of questions here, Koo. Sure. All right. We're, and again, we're speaking with Koo Lee. He's a Senate candidate. And I got to get the break. So I'm just going to give you the questions. 
And just real quick, real quick answers. Uh, you said you and your wife eloped, and you said the year 2000, and then you went, uh, 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 2002. Is she listening, and are you going to be in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I feel so bad because I sometimes don't even remember my birthday because I'm just not good with remember dates. <laughs> and, and I feel bad because sometimes I would take my kids to the uh, – to visit their doctors, and they say, what, what is your kid's name, and what is his birth date? And I would scratch my head, and, and I have to text my wife, uh, but I'm sure that she'll forgive me because she loves me a lot. So uh, Wait, do you, have to text, do you have to text your wife what your kid's names are? This is beyond. A no. birthday. <laughs> no, birthday. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the second one, you mentioned you, you were rolling on the ground, uh, crying, whining, because you didn't get that bottle of Coke, and I understand that's the hardship there for your dad. But when your kids, when you take your kids grocery shopping and they want a thing, are you like ultimately spoiling them or do you give them the story? I was, I, when I grew up in Laos, my father couldn't buy me a thing of Coke and now you want this, you spoil, you know, I don't know what kind of, do you give them the lecture every time they whine about getting something? Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I, I feel guilty on this because, you know, I, I tell people all the time, the purpose of you having kids is to spoil them and not to spoil them where they become bad people. You spoil them to the point where you 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 allow them to understand, and I will share the story as well. Because I got I got to go to no. cool, I got to go to break. So I don't. I, sure. uh, let, let's go to break, and we'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit of politics. I want to get into volleyball, and I want to give you a, a segment to speak to the Hmong population out there as well. Um, but before we do that, we got to take a news break. We'll be back after this with Cooley. Sounds great. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Koo Lee is on with me. He's one of the five candidates in the Democratic Party running for Senate to replace Ron Johnson. That's his goal anyway. Uh, the primary day, voting period ends on Tuesday. So if you haven't voted already or, you know, Koo, the, the, a lot of people maybe have already voted. A lot of people have dropped out of this race, so they have to go back and change their vote. So uh, it, it's funny, too, because we call it spoiling your ballot. It's the stupidest way to to to, to describe that nobody knows like spoil my ballot what does that even mean did i leave it in the fridge too long (laughs) um yeah but none of your fault to begin with yeah and i appreciate you coming on and and telling your story about how you you your family made it to the united states uh you know the the hardships you guys had to endure not getting your coca-cola i understand that's probably your worst memory of all of that part of the story no i'm just kidding um but but what I want to do is I have I have a there's you know I, I'm sure you, all over the place there's there's Hmong communities and you're running for Senate and I have a lot of Hmong friends uh, we all play volleyball together so I just want to give you a couple minutes here if you want to talk to the Hmong community out there um, and and make your pitch for running for Senate or whatever you want to say to the Hmong community out there I'll let you I'll let you go you you go ahead thank you Rick อ่ากูลงเชียร์ให้มันเอากูอ่าตอตอนจีนเนี่ยอ่าตาตอตอนดาเร็กชิถามินจีตอลูสตอนจวนเนาะอ่าอย่างนี้ตอนเนาะตะ
ยาเปยมุทากาเมนลยานิมนโตยาหังลึนทีฮาซาปองกูตนกูถากูยิมกูยิมชิฮากูยิรงเชนนะเนทาทุลังโซตูนูอันโดนูจงดูละตกติยา
make sure that everyone has an equal playing field, equal access, you know, uh, uh, equal representation under the laws. So that's what that's what I stand for, and uh, uh, that's my reasoning for the uh, running as a Democrat. So thank you for asking the question. That's a wonderful question. Thank you. All right, Cooley running for Senate. All right, I gotta I gotta ask you this because you were telling your story and you ended up in at Michigan State, and and then you mentioned sports and we were talking about this a little bit. Did you play volleyball at Michigan State as a part of a club team? Yeah, I, I did. Michigan State had too many uh, too many men's sports. Uh, uh, so volleyball wasn't uh, part of the D1 uh, accredited, uh, uh, you know, program there, but we play as a, a, a club sports. So I, I did, and um, why? That was a, why? Why is that? Is why? Why? Because all my monk friends play volleyball. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, why is it? Why volleyball? You guys are typically you're usually shorter, and in volleyball you got to be taller. And I get it, basketball maybe not. Baseball would be a great sport, I think. Uh, soccer, but you end up playing volleyball. All the all my friends too. Like I just I ask them this all the time. We all just laugh about it. You know that's kind of interesting question because you know I joke with my dad nowadays. I said, Dad, why did you even say go play golf? You know I would have been the next Tiger Woods or somebody. Okay, <laughs> uh, but he did it. He, you know, maybe it's a volleyball, just a cultural thing in the community. Uh, and, um, you know, you just fell in love with it uh, because your friends is doing it. There's, there's you know, accolades in it. Uh, and in my community, it's such a, 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 a popular thing because during the summer, you get to travel, different, you know, to different places, different cities uh, uh, during these summer festivals to play ball and to get a chance to uh, to win a competition or to show off your talent, and, and that that was the draw to to the volleyball. And um, you know, well, after the fact, coo after the fact, I know I'm, I, I say why why do it, and then after the fact, because I'll play with these guys and they all kick my butt because they're they're just so much better volleyball players than I do. They play all the time. Um, this was you too, right? Like when you were playing for Michigan State, you used to you because you're five ten. You're kind of tall for for among volleyball tip player, but you 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 know when you're playing at that level. The, the the competition is often six foot five. Um, could you, you, what, but what was that like? You know, just like because you're playing at that at that higher level. You, you know, it, it's very much like right now running for uh, United States Senate. You know, I, I'm going against all these people with with deep pockets. Like right now with the United States Senate, they got endorsement from every local and national politicians and every freaking uh, lobbyist groups and everything else. That to me is like looking at a guy who is six five. Six four, that is trying to block me. And uh, as a competitor, as a person that know uh, your strengths and your weaknesses, you know the volleyball game has defined me as a person because at the time of five ten, you never heard of five ten being an outside hitter. Okay. And and so you know what's kind of crazy was uh, my experience playing uh, a club ball at Michigan State, and uh, that was a that was a, a, a very powerful experience for me because. You know, uh, the the games that, to me, that is most memorable is when you play against your rival. And in this case, you know, the, the school down the street, Michigan. And I swear, there are these guys like 6'3", six, 6'5", six, and they're laughing like, oh, my gosh, you know, if I 10, he's going to hit outside. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's where my strengths are. It's when people underestimate me. And they don't understand that, you know, uh, the value of, of a dime is actually smaller, but it's much more than the nickel. And so uh, that's the type of philosophy that I use, and that's the type of uh, philosophy that I apply in everything I do. 
but the volleyball game, uh, Rick, um, you know, has kind of helped me uh, develop as a person uh, throughout my life. And, and I tell you, maybe that's, that's why it's very popular amongst the, the, uh, the youth in the community. And I tell you, in the future here, near future here, I think that uh, the Hmong community will eventually produce some D1 athletes in volleyball. And uh, I, I think that that's coming soon. Yeah, and I will say, once you start playing volleyball, that then you understand, oh, yeah, this sport is awesome. And then also, like, it's a great way to just be, like, I wouldn't know any of these guys, and, and men, men and women, if I didn't play volleyball. So it's a great way to get, get out and meet people, um, just experiencing. And it doesn't have to be volleyball, you know, like, you, you can do that with anything that's an extracurricular type activity. Um, all right, getting to the Senate. We got a couple minutes here to go, Koo. Um you know the the way the Senate is now. What what do you have like a big problem with with, with what the Senate does or doesn't do? Because often I think like, man, the Senate really doesn't do a whole lot, that, and and it just doesn't seem like it's an accomplishing all that much. When we say, hey, the Democrats hold the entire government right now, and as a Democrat, do you do you see like you know, wow, we really should be doing more, and the Senate seems to be the roadblock in that. Uh, <coughs> Rick, uh, that, that's a that's a uh, awesome point because. Uh, with my campaign, we did not reach out to any uh, lobbyist groups, interest groups, and we did not reach out to any local or uh, state or national politicians to endorse us. Because I, I want to uh, put this to the test, uh, that we need to take big money out of this equation. And we also need to take uh, um, <clears throat> maybe party out of this equation. That's how I try to run this campaign where I try to base it solely on the people here on the ground here in Wisconsin so that if I get elected, I will be 100% free to make decisions just solely based on the people that I represent. And, and so the problem that what we have is, yes, the United States Senate, um, th- there is too much of this poll, the interest groups, uh, the big money, uh, the party line, and, and, and both parties guilty at that. That's why we don't get anything done. Um, so if we could get more good people, people that are just pure, who wants to do this right, that has a good moral compass, that maybe the party doesn't really promote them as much because they see that this person or that person is not a yes sir, yes ma'am type of uh, politician, and that this politician wants to do what's good for our state, our country. I think we need more of these people in, in the United States Senate to make some changes, to make an impact. And the only way we're going to do that is when Democrats and Republicans, I know that the center, there's a lot more people in the center, that the, you hold the ultimate power to change and to send the people to Washington, D.C. according to what you think they're going to do, not because someone's popular. Uh, not because they've been in politics for 20 years, not because they raised $2 million and 80% that come from outside the state, not because the Marquette University poll says, you know, they got to fire 10%, because the poll is very biased. I tell you, if they were to have 20 home people on that poll and mention my name, I, I would be the top candidate here in Wisconsin, but because they don't have that. And so those are some of the biases I think that they're using and these are the things that is clogging the decision-making process in, in the United States Senate. And it's unfortunate that almost every U.S. senator has been bought out by some sort of lobbyist groups. Because uh, the truth is, you want to win, you need big money. And so we have to take big money out of the equation if we want to clean this up. All right, last question real quick here. 
uh, you know, growing up, you, you, we talked earlier about your hardships and, and, and your, for your family and getting over here. Now, when you did get over here, how old were you when you got your first bicycle and how, how long did it take you, you know, to, to ride it? Were you like 20? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I was, I was 10. It was a, a year after afterwards because my grandmother, she loves me very much. And, and she knew that, that I wanted that for so long. And Rick, I, I was a very athletic kid, uh, and um, it didn't take me long to know how to ride it and to, you know, to do one wheels and and to do those things. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you must have been. The, but the the I, you know, it was a bad question to ask, a bad way to ask it. But the the idea of when you got that bike, I guess that must have been just like, or when you got your first sip of coke, like what you know, like I don't know if you remember your first sip of coke, but that must have been something. I do, I do. It, it, it's it's. It's like wow, you know. It's like it, it's just one of those amazing feelings. Uh, I remember riding down my bike in, in the neighborhood, and obviously in Detroit, so you you obviously have to be very careful not to go too far from your block because you know. So um, that feeling, it's like the ultimate freedom. Yeah, you, you feel free when your grandma. So, did your grandma roll yeah. the bike into the room and like woo? Like grandma. Yeah. I, yes. And and I know the first thing because as a mom parents they're so concerned about your safety, they always say you know don't don't get hit by the car. Please stay on the sidewalk. <laughs> don't go too far. You know you, you someone's going to try to take your bike and you might have to defend it. Uh, so all those things uh, came into play. But the overall feeling, Rick, is uh, it's it's just free. Uh, this ultimate freedom. Uh, the feeling of being free and wow, you know, for so many years I dreamt of this bike and it's here and, and it's quite a, 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 it's, it's a wonderful feeling. I, I know that everyone felt that way with, with that kind of, uh, um, you know, like delayed gratification. I would like to say that you waited so long for it, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right. That's cool. Lee. He's running for Senate voting period ends on Tuesday and the democratic party for, for those who are voting as Democrats. Cool. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, Rick, can I have one last word? All right, you got 20 seconds. All right. Uh, Wisconsinites, I'm the little guy. If you believe in underdogs, you believe in good people, with good moral compass, should be represent our state. Please come out now until August 9th. We'll shock the world. I promise you, if you come out, we'll shock the world. Thank you, Rick, and thank you, everyone, for listening today. All right, thanks a lot, Koo. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take one more break. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Coming on tomorrow, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Libertarian guy sent me some text. I appreciate the text. He just said, uh, you know, I asked uh, what's wrong with the Senate. I guess you're right. He he texted me. He said, you should ask him how he would change the Senate. But I ran out of time. I just, we got to talking about other stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I got to go. So, but yeah, you're good. It was a good point. I should, I, I'll think about that going forward. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate the text. I appreciate the, uh, well, number three's phone call earlier, <laughs> the, the wake-up call for tomorrow. We'll see you in the morning.